This episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd was taken from a Zoom call interview. We are including the entire call with no edits. The video version is available on YouTube. Welcome to this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd. Today we have with us Merle Rutledge, who is running for the governor of Virginia under the Republican ticket. Merle, glad you could be with us here this morning. Hey, it's a pleasure to be up here. I'm glad that y'all gave me the opportunity to share my platform and my vision for Virginia. And I look forward to this conversation about being real well America. Even though I'm running for governor of Virginia, you know, this is about a great country. Everything we do, you know, impacts others. So I'm looking forward to it. Now, Murray, you're actually about as Virginian as you can get. You were born um, in Virginia Beach, right? In Virginia Beach. You went to Norfolk State University there. So, I mean, out of everybody running, you've probably got, you know, more of a feel for Virginia as a state and for the constituents in that state. Um, I did read some of the bios of some of the other people were running and, you know, I think there was a guy who was from New York, but you seemed, like I said, you seemed like you were a good fit to be able to represent the, represent the people there. Yeah. Yeah. It's an American made story with my campaign. I call it the rags, the riches story because everything I accomplished, I had to do from the ground up. So I have, a lot of city, a lot of country life, but uh, understand both sides of the aisle. And what people want right now, somebody who had been through what they've been through, but also can relate that being wealthy and rich is not a cancer to people. It's actually what puts food on the table for those who need jobs and more. So it's like having this great mixture. But at the same time frame, we all have to have a core of where we stand. And that's what people are missing. They seeing too much flip-flopping. So hopefully through your show, um, they get a good picture of what it's like to really be behind the scenes, um, be in this campaign and also um, what I'm looking to do for Virginia. So Marley, we have the campaign. Uh, I've got a note here saying that it's scheduled for May and that is right around the corner. And when I last looked, there were 10 candidates out there that are running uh, on the Republican ticket. Uh, what are your preparations for that convention? Well, the preparations is, of course, we want to get as many delegates as possible. But it should have taken this long to get to how we are going to nominate our candidates. It has been up in the air. Democrats has had their whole situation organized going with a primary and for us right now the biggest thing is getting as many republican delegates instead of having everybody have a voice here in this process where of course now the democrats have that but i think the key for people running for office right now i mean running for governor anyway would be to relate to the common worker meaning the construction worker the blue collars um all across Virginia because right now the middle class uh, is getting destroyed at this time period. And if you don't have a plan for them, then it ain't gonna really matter who's the nominee. We lose, you know, and we gotta get the voters that we lost. We lost them for a reason and we gotta get them back using a different type of message. And right now we got some bad messages. So right now, you know, looking at how this process is going to go, People are going to have to get 
very uncomfortable. That's why I tell them, you know, and start looking at new voters and, of course, looking at anybody. You can't look at any voter as not important or not able to give, uh, get you over that curve. So if anybody's just running on, I'm going to just go to places where I have a red carpet waiting for me, then we are doing ourselves a huge injustice here in the Republican Party. Yeah. Now, have you actually been able to get out and uh, connect with people as much as you wanted? I know with, you know, certain restrictions put in places and, you know, the size of gatherings and stuff, it's been a, you know, very difficult time for some people to kind of, you know, meet constituents and really, you know, touch base to as much as you would be able to, you know, under normal circumstances. Has that affected you much at all in your campaign? I think it affected everybody. Of course, it affected us because... In campaign, you want to be out there knocking on doors, not, okay, knocking on a door and somebody saying six feet or get off my property because of a third party, you know, trying to create a condition. I have to say it the way it is. But, um, yes, it has hurt, but we can't use it as an excuse. You know, we all are in the same box, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. You got to find a way to reach voters. So you got to stay up extra late to five o'clock in the morning where you wouldn't normally been able to connect with these people between nine to five. Then that's what you got to do. And honestly, I'm sick of the other politicians complaining because I'm like, you find a way to win. You love your country. You love this Commonwealth and you love the direction um, that you plan to have this Commonwealth going. You're going to do whatever it takes. Right. Now, I see you're like 40 years old, right, Merle? 40, 41? 40. So you're, yeah, you're at the kind of a right age to really delve, you know, full speed into politics. Can you tell us a little bit and the listeners how you kind of got involved into politics, what your history leading up to running was? I guess I was against authority <laughs> in some kind of ways. Um, actually, what got me into politics was my mother. Um, she was always going to NAACP meetings, local government meetings, school board meetings. And as a kid, you watch it and you see her commit, you know, be committed to change. And she'll just, if there was a problem, whether it was somebody being treated unfairly in the schools or whatever it may be, she'll go right to bat for them. And even with me, you know, if there was a situation where she felt it was unfair whether it was with the schools or whatever. As me being young, you know, you gravitate towards what you are around, what you experience. So it was kind of like passing the baton to me in a way by showing me you don't quit. You always start at the top and work yourself down to the bottom when you want to handle dispute resolution. And to me, I was always around working with um executive directors or school board superintendents or those in public service. And realistically, it just always was around me and I fell in love with it. So of course I got a degree at Norfolk State University in political science. And from there, I just learned that you don't take a whole lot of emotions into law. You just look at the issue and you come up with solutions regardless of race or background. And with me personally, some would say, okay, have you been affected by race in some kind of way? So whatever it may be. And I'm like, you know, I never look at people for their race. I'm colorblind. 
I look at people's characters. I got friends from all over. So realistically, most of the time frame, it became a continuous thing, meaning being in politics, if, they, if somebody saw you handle one problem, then they think you can handle their problem. And to me, I just want to be helpful. But at this time frame, you know, I got tired of asking for permission. And I said, you know what, it's time for me to start making that call. And if somebody keeps telling you, you got to go to the governor or the top levels of government to get things resolved, then eventually you're going to get tired of the do nothing attitude and start saying to yourself, I probably is the best one to get things done and uh, see change. So my life has uh, revolved around politics and it has revolved around fighting for people's rights. And right now we see yeah. that right so we also noted that you were an investigative reporter, a freelance investigative reporter, which sounds like a pretty interesting job to have, you know, digging in and trying to find things that are going on and let everybody know that. Do you think those skills as the freelance investigative reporter going to help you be the governor? And when you were doing that, did you do any digging into politics that maybe made you say, hey, I found some of these things during my investigative reporting. And now I know a way to fix them, and I want to run for governor to be able to take care of those. Yes, absolutely. Um, the swamp is dirty, and the swamp has been there. It has never, you know, not existed throughout my lifetime. Being an investigative reporter, sometimes you find stories or issues, and you dive so deep into it, that you regret doing it in a way because you find out it's the people who was closest to you and advising you are the ones that are corrupt. You know, sometimes the paperwork falls right back to the person who was telling you to look the other way and you don't realize they were telling you that because they didn't want you looking in their direction. Um, yes, it does help me because it allows me to get around the BS without the cursing you know get around you know um what people say compared to what they do and how they try to re relay a message to the public that says okay i'm trying to sell you on something i ain't telling you the details i started learning the details that they didn't want people to find out because i got tired like i'm from danville for most of my life and in the pennsylvania county area and i started seeing taxes increase and come to find out there'll be a clause in the contracts that the city or the county would enter into that says, hey, um, if this company leaves, then the taxpayers would be on the hook for it. And these are details had people known, they would have probably fought a lot harder to make sure that they wasn't paying for another company or a bad business deal that a locality makes. Um, but the fact of the matter is, I think, honestly, investigative reporting, it's all about your heart and soul. If you're uh, corrupt or trying to cover up for people, then it's probably not a good thing for you to disseminate news. Because we have a lot of fake news of people taking people out of context or try, trying to twist facts. Me, I was all about the truth and telling the truth that other newspapers would not report just because it's a great story doesn't mean that news is going to run it. And I started noticing they wouldn't run certain articles because it made that area look bad. 
And it's not about making it look bad. It's about fixing the problem so we can look good. So to me personally, it's about exposing the truth, exposing corruption, um, telling people exactly how their government officials are really working. It used to be like that in the news. Now it seems like people or newspapers are bought off and they just print out whatever favors whoever is paying them. And that's terrible for journalism, you know. Tell the story, tell the real story, not just make it up so it just basically causes people to lose trust, lose trust. Yeah, now, obviously you're still alive in front of us, so you didn't do any invis investigations into the Clintons. Um, <laughs> the, um, obviously, one of the big things which has come up this last year or so is the cancel culture and censorship. And you were just mentioning about newspapers now, they don't seem to have any commitment necessarily to the truth it's more about their political affiliation and they can print basically outright lies i mean there was an incident last week where i think it was a new york times basically got busted for misquoting uh trump and you know they did a very poor job of kind of apologizing for it even though it was basically an out and out lie and they don't seem to care about giving false witness and ruining people's reputations and looking back into people's past and misquoting them, taking something out of context. Do you think this is just going to get worse and worse or can you see an end in sight for this type of dirty, dirty games as such? Well, it's going to get worse and worse until we start holding the news accountable for what they put out there. Um, the fact is I'm all about free speech. You know, you just say it like it is, you know, just because somebody printed it doesn't mean it's true. It's incumbent on each and every person to do their own research, which a lot of people are not doing. They just read the headlines and just say, okay, this must be the truth because it comes from the source. And President Trump, yes, is a victim of it. We all are. Um, for the most part, it seems like Republicans and conservatives are the ones getting this cancel culture, like my Facebook page and my other social medias has had um, been suspended, banned, or videos removed, even though it wasn't nothing to violate terms. It just was made up as it goes along. And to be honest about it, you know, they're not going to apologize. Their whole job was destroying President Trump and destroying his movement. And to say the least, you know, we all are, you know, falling victim to it. The only thing we can do is fight back and get back out to where it belongs. We need to take it to the streets. You know, we can't let the newspapers write our story. Sometimes you gotta be committed to telling your own story. And if that's the case, then that's the case. But, um, you know, newspapers- Sure. So uh, we did look a little bit through your website and there was a few items on there we'd like for you to expound upon for some of our listeners so they can kind of full well explain what these items are, what these pieces of your platform are and where you stand on those. And the first one, it, I know this sounds self-explanatory and you have delved into this a little bit, but you say you're pro-business. So can you expound on that pro-business outlook? One of the great things about my campaign is you can't buy me off. You, you know, there's no such thing as coming to me and saying, I'm going 
give you this money, but I need for you to do this. It's either I support you or I don't support you. You can't pay me for that. Um, on pro business, one, uh, I want 15% tax cut here in Virginia for all business as part of my COVID relief uh, policy, as well as 0% state tax, meaning no state tax for the first year for startup businesses. Honestly, I would like to get rid of all taxes for the first year in Virginia because the COVID relief bill basically filled in holes in the state budget. The state looks better than what Governor Northam claims it is. It's only because of the COVID relief bill, but everybody else is still starving from the ground up. So also, I'm pro-marijuana. That brings in $300 million in revenue the first year. I'm all for it. I want records expunged so people can get back to work and don't have to deal with um, the ills or the social ills of, you know, past convictions for a harmless offense. They need a second chance. And I'm actually about second chance for all nonviolent offenders with automatic expungement after they meet certain conditions and earn their right back into society without having to pay hundreds of dollars to get a record expunged. And plus this... Um, brings people back into the workforce that are much needed in certain jobs. Also, I'm all for lifting uranium mining, which will bring in thousands and thousands of jobs in the rural area because of modern technology. Back in the day, I wasn't supporting it because I felt like it wasn't enough research on it for the area to basically unilaterally take on such a big project. But now I see it as a great way for extra jobs. So that's my way of being pro-business. I keep it clear cut and without a whole bunch of garbage where everybody can understand we can benefit from this. And plus it's gonna bring more businesses into Virginia, especially knowing that they have the incentive to come here. Zero state tax on the first year, that gives you a lot of wiggle room to work with. And also we wanna make sure that businesses know we have their back. They put food on the table for people. And right now, the $15 minimum wage, I'm against that. Until we are able to meet that standard, I'm not going to destroy businesses and it's going to be a killer to small businesses. So I'm against that. Because right now, those kiosk machines you see in McDonald's or where you could go up and self-pay and stuff like that, that's going to be somebody's job right now. And realistically, these businesses do not want to fire good employees and put them out of work right now. And right now, people are paying more money for basic services and goods, but making the same pay right now. So we can't afford to do a minimum wage increase, which most businesses are really frowning upon because it's the death of small business to them because they can't afford it. You know, this is a pandemic, and it seems like for Democrats that consider it so serious, you should have common sense reform here to know, hey, we may be barking up the wrong tree a little bit too soon. Yeah, now, I see you're a big proponent of the Castle Doctrine and a strong supporter of the Second Amendment, especially in relation to how it affects women, um, protection from assault, domestic abuse. Could you tell us a little, you tell us a little bit about that and your platform? that yes um I, I believe more women need to be trained and uh gun safety classes and of course be armed restraining orders is not enough and the castle doctrine said that you can protect your home and your property from 
criminals, you know, and realistically, we shouldn't have been had this law here in Virginia, but I'm also the insurance plan for patriots and those who are gun owners, because I also want to have a self-defense review panel that reviews self-defense claims before it makes it to a grand jury. The reason is because most juries are not, I, I would say they don't understand the full dynamics of self-defense and a lot of people are wrongfully convicted and it was a justified shoot. And I want to make sure that we are not locking up the wrong people. And that's a way of criminal justice perform at the same time. I also want a hand stand your ground law. I also want to make immunity for shop owners and more during a time frame of unrest like the summer of 2020 so they can defend their property and themselves. You don't know what criminal has on their mind when they come into your place and they are trying to do harm in any kind of way. And also the same time period, I want to make sure we have extra safeguards that are in place to make sure red flag laws doesn't take your gun without due process of law, meaning a judge decides to based off a trial, not premature actions that leaves a person defenseless to monsters. Um, and we also, that's the point of courts in the justice system to see the merits of the case, to see whether it is, you know, verified that there's a danger in that situation. But regardless of the situation, I'm, I'm a firm two-way advocate and I'm going to fight for people's right to defend themselves. And I believe I'm the insurance plan for most people that are looking for adequate protections and gun control is dead on arrival with me. Period. And I do plan on also, and this is a commitment, pardoning anybody who breaks Governor Northam's gun control laws um, is unconstitutional. And I will not have anybody suffer for that. So that was almost a perfect segue into my next question, which had to do with your uh, stance on being pro-constitutionalist. And so can we get into that a little bit and spin off with that as far as some stances that you've already said that maybe a, we'll call them regular Republican, might be against, like the uh, legalization of marijuana. There, there are a lot of folks that turn around and they say, well, that seems to be more of a liberal-leaning policy. Uh, but you're saying pro-constitutionalist, and then you have those views. So can you kind of walk us through the pro-constitutionalist while at the same time, how you're going to get around some of the detractors, let's call them, that might say, well, you're not really a Republican because you're pro-marijuana. Honestly, I could care less what they think. I'm pro-marijuana. It's a time frame where you stand on your guns and you don't have somebody control uh, how you feel. If you don't have a core, you just don't have a core. Um, my thing is, I want to end the war on drugs and focus on recovery and mental health. A lot of people go back to drugs because they can't find a job because they got felony out there and they are committed to actually change and want to have a good start for a good second chance on life. That's why my second chance program is so important for nonviolent drug offenders to say, hey, I want to clean your records and get you back to work and get you back on your life without whatever from back in the day. Uh, that's why I'm very committed to recovery and mental health services. And most mental health experts think marijuana is a good drug 
against opiate addiction. And I'm like, I'm more concerned about opiates than I definitely am about marijuana. And honestly, you know, we lose jobs and more. So to the Republicans that have a problem, Democrats, anybody who has a problem with that part, this is over 12,000 jobs. This is also a chance to reform how we handle our war on drugs. Instead of incarceration, we look at recovery and mental health. We pay $60,000 a year per person to be locked up in a penitentiary because they are drug addicts. That doesn't make real common sense here. When you can pay 5,000 or 10,000 to a recovery center for them to actually get back right on like nobody's perfect i'm tired of those who will try to act like they're perfect or not trust me in investigative reporting i found out more skeletons in people's closet that claim to be above reproach and honestly if you're trying to be mr and mrs perfect you're not going to win the election people want the real deal and they want to know the good and the bad and make a decision on that that's why people can't handle certain candidates when they find out about them too late and they're like oh okay now don't want to vote for them but now you put them in a position for us to lose everything and too much is on the line right now with socialist policies and more for us to be playing guessing game we need true leaders not politicians now you're very committed to a lot of the uh freedoms which you know some republicans claim they're in favor of but they start watering down the moment they take public office. And obviously you're gonna end up with some pushback if you get elected from certain Republicans who want you to be more moderate on some things, but more hardline on others. Now, going to the marijuana thing, I mean, as you were saying, in terms of the taxation it brings in, you know, the lack of proof really that it is any type of gateway drug. It is a great alternative to opioids. Um, and the hemp industry as well, the amount of money that can bring in. Why do you think Republicans in this day and age still have this very archaic attitude towards marijuana when, you know, compared to something like alcohol, you know, I mean, it, it's almost harmless in comparison. That's because, you know, they've been told by some other Republican or whoever that this is how you are supposed to behave. This is how you're supposed to act and think instead of think for yourself. People are tired of that. You know, they've been in the losing end of it for quite some time. They want to continue to lose, so be it. You know, I'm not going to change. Once I say I'm for something, I'm for it. If I'm against it, I'm against it. People are just tired of the flip-floppers. And honestly, I would tell anybody who is a voter or a part of any political party, you gotta start thinking for yourself and start making your own decisions because a lot of people wanna say they for marijuana that claim that they are not. They'll start saying, okay, well, I believe it's good for medicinal purposes or whatever have you. That means you're not saying that you're totally against it, but instead of you saying, hey, I'm willing to work here along this line, you're still giving out normal campaign pitch lines. Right now, nobody is going to vote for any leader or politician in Virginia or anywhere else that's going to be against marijuana. People are just tired of the old arguments and stuff like that. 
after a while, somebody got to be a trailblazer, and that's exactly who I am. I didn't say I was going to be Republican of the month here. I said, exactly, I'm not. I'm not going to be politically correct. I'm not going to be controlled by the establishment. I'm here for the people. And also, the farmers need an extra crop. They're starving out here. So if they want to lose the you know, agricultural industry, they're going to give it right up to Democrats and anybody else who's willing to take it on. Because people get tired of being broke. I can say that. So Republicans and Democrats or anybody who has a problem with it, you know, oh well. That makes sense. And (laughs) yeah, it is what it is. I I totally get that. And I'm right there with you on that one. So in that in that last statement, you talked a lot about the voters, right? And you know, being out there to represent those voters. And voting fraud was something that was brought up in the last election. And of course, it constantly comes up in any election. If there has been voter fraud, if there has been voting machine fraud, things like that. Uh, Do you think that's a real problem that we have in this country, whether it's uh, fraudulent elections or voter fraud? Yes, it's absolutely a problem. And the media is even more of a problem by trying to cover it up and act like it doesn't exist. You know, that's a good thing about me being an investigative reporter. Give me answers ahead of time, way uh, way beyond the ordinary that doesn't look into things. Honestly, Virginia Republicans procrastinated and was complacent. A lot of um, swing states are battleground states where the Republican Party um, was involved in. We should have had all this on these machines every single day paper trails to make sure if there was anything going on, we should have knew about it ahead of time. We shouldn't have waited until after election day to say, okay, all these problems is coming up. But yes, the media owes President Trump a huge apology, but of course he was talking about this and explaining it even from the signature match and more. Like for me personally, I want a state ID law to vote, you know, in person, making it mandatory with extreme restrictions on any exceptions because we want to make sure every legal vote counts. And I also want E-Verify in our elections. The reason is because we are the taxpayers and we are the ones who should have a say-so in how this country is. We shouldn't be looking at other countries to dictate how Americans do business and how we handle our elections. So the major thing for the Republican Party is to no longer be procrastinating or complacent. But everybody also talks about this is what they'll do after they are elected. We got to stop losing elections. And we got to stop saying to ourselves, if we are going around doing the same thing, we are going to have the same results. So this is one of those type of situations. If you want to fall on your sword, it costs everybody, you costing yourself. And that's my message I'm telling people is we got to be in this fight to make sure our elections is protected. But we got to have a game plan. And people didn't have that. I was one of the few who said, hey, we need to make four years like Freedom Information Act requests, you know, and the orders of voting machines, make sure there's no exemption so people can also request it from anywhere so we have more transparency in how our elections is carried out. Yeah, and I've always found it strange that people aren't in favor of more secure elections, especially when 
they spend years crying about, um, you know, alleged foreign interference, and yet they don't want to shore up the process of voting so that it's almost impossible to actually, you know, interfere with it. And I find that, you know, this whole thing, approach about voter suppression for having to show an ID in itself is a very racist statement. You know, to say what, so if you're a person of color, you, you can't get an ID. I mean, I haven't heard it, <laughs> such a ridiculous argument against, you know, proof of identity, you know, to be able to vote than that. But the media, to an extent, did suppress a lot of the things that came through proving irregularities here in Texas, uh, close to where we live in Dallas. I mean, there were a few people arrested for voter fraud, attempted ballot harvesting. But, you know, you listen to the mainstream media and you'd think it was 100% conspiracy theory. And they still seem to be pushing that narrative that, you know, our elections are as secure as they possibly can be. Whereas if you just look at even some of the moderate and middle independent news sources, you can see that wasn't the case. There were literally dozens of cases across the country of attempts to either, you know, change votes, uh, fraudulent votes, people voting who should never have been allowed to vote. But again, given the media control the narrative and a lot of Republicans just seem to, you know, take that rhino stance about it. How, how do we really enforce it when it seems to have such little, I guess, backup and support to change things? Um, a Republican is a Republican and a rhino is a rhino. <laughs> That's the best thing I can say. And always be cautious when they decide to say, hey, it's voter suppression because of somebody's race. Um, we have to use our ID just to get a bottle of alcohol. I definitely think we should have our ID to vote when it comes down to the direction our entire country goes in. You know, they always bring that, you know, mess up talking about, you know, it's going to disenfranchise this group or that group or whatever have you. The fact of the matter is, it's just, you know, media way of controlling how people think and the using people that they feel vulnerable that's going to believe anything that they say. The reality of the situation is people are waking up and they're seeing what, you know, this whole voting process is like when Hillary Clinton lost to President Trump, they wanted to say, oh, it wasn't fair then, you know, but realistically, what we are finding out, we have outsiders meddling in our election. And the fact of the matter is we got to start making sure American legal votes count and they matter no matter what. And right now, that's been the biggest problem. We are we are confused of whether China or Russia or any other outside entity is influencing our elections instead of us just saying we may have to go back to paper ballots where show our ID and paper ballot instead of worrying about who hacks the machines or stuff like that. So we got to look at all options to make sure the greatest protection of of our democracy and our voting system is protected by all means. So kind of shifting off of that point, let's talk a little bit about illegal immigration. And of course, in Texas down here, we're constantly hounded in the news about uh, the border. You know, we share a large border with Mexico and of course we have a maritime border as well. Uh, do you see that we have an illegal immigration problem or 
for lack of a better term, even an immigration problem in the United States. And as far as that goes, how does that affect Virginia? Well, Biden made it our problem. We got Governor Northam and Biden outside countries' problems into Virginia saying we're going to be a sanctuary. They ain't going to happen for uh, Virginia involving the next governor by far. Do we have a, a problem at the border? Yes, it's called President Biden. That's the problem. I'm all for finishing the wall, making sure nobody comes in, not giving out incentives like my other um, candidates and opponents who voted to for in-state tuition for illegals. We are trying to basically invite every single problem here. And people got to realize if they're inviting all of this, they are taking the American people out. And we are taking on problems that we don't even have a budget for. So actually, the problem at the border Biden created is Biden's fault. President Trump has solved most of the problems. We wasn't facing this situation while President Trump was president. That's why you don't vote for somebody with dementia, in my opinion. <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, the, now, um, I, I was reading an article this morning about uh, cartels actually charging, I think, around fifty or $60,000 to smuggle people in this, into the southern border. And for that money, they will put together an artificial family for them involving kids to get them into the country. And, you know, where we have people in the world who, you know, are genuinely against America and harm in the country and its citizens that, you know, some of the countries these people are coming from, fifty or $60,000 to get a hardcore terrorist in the country is not a lot of money. So even if, we're, if we could turn a blind eye to the economic impact and to, you know, the effect it has on employment or unemployment, rather, it's definitely a national security risk. And it could be an absolute huge one. We're not just talking about a few gang members coming in and, you know, jacking some cars or, you know, breaking into some stores. We're talking something which could be catastrophic along the lines of 9-11. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also takes away American jobs. Like I said, I was sending National Guard troops down to the border to help out. But I, honestly, I'm not giving out one bit of concession for anybody outside this country to come inside this country. Straight up locking down the border and people are going to have to learn. Others had to wait in line too. So this isn't something brand new. You go into somebody's country the right way. You don't see Americans going to other countries without passport or without permission. That's the same thing here. Right now, the globalists right now are laughing at us. I'm wondering why nobody's migrating or going over to China. You don't see China having this problem. America is inviting this problem because we've got weak and poor leadership here. I'm here to protect Americans and Virginians first. And realistically, we can't handle any more problems. We got enough with Democrats, actually. So yes, you know, I'm all for locking down that border and making sure we tell everybody around the world, you come to America, you are not coming in unless you go about it the right way. And that's the problem right now. We had too many people in leadership, so-called, inviting these problems with incentives. And I would be the first to try to have it shut down. Immigration is with the federal government. And the federal government needs to start doing their job. But Virginia is not going to have that problem with me being the next Virginia governor. I can tell you that one.
me and ICE will have a great cooperation agreement. So shifting on to uh, the normal parts of a political campaign, and I'm hoping your answer to this is going to be, nope, haven't seen any of this, but uh, have you ran into any kind of smear campaigns, being misquoted, uh, taken out of context, things like that as you've been running your campaign? Absolutely. Yeah, it's an article out there because Brown's fighting Danville and whooping up on people and doing what I needed to do to make sure people took Merle Rutgers seriously. Um, there's an article saying, okay, this man has been barred from filing for, uh, lawsuits. There's nothing in the court opinion that says he can't file a lawsuit or whatever. That was me and the judge who just didn't like each other that abused his power. The fact of the matter is, but they're like, okay, this makes him a bad person. I'm like, really? Me fighting for people makes me a bad person. And I'm like, yo, read all the cases that hey, he basically just said, you know, it's a problem because it was exposing the corruption. That's what it boils down to. So, like I said, yes, it's playing smear campaigns out there, but a lot of things ain't smears. It's the truth. I got one of my opponents who fundraised with a self-admitted pedophile. I'm like, we got one who's a Chinese capitalist vulture. You know, the smears is all over the place, like talking about it, but the fact is truth is still truth. Me, it doesn't bother me. I wanted to get vicious and prove. People need to see the difference between what is a politician and what is a patriot. And a patriot is going to find a way to win. So you can smear, do whatever you're going to do. We can do it right back. So it's one of those type of things. Is it a problem? Yeah, but it's one of those type of things. Politics is brutal, and you got to be ready for it any kind of way. Yeah. Now, uh, it seems that some people get a free pass regardless of how much they mismanage stuff. I mean, you take Governor Newsom in California. I think they're up to about 2 million signatures for recall now. And, you know, last week he came out and made this statement, oh, it's about racism because of the because of the browning of California, you know, so he's tried to make it that, you know, if you disagree with his policies on COVID and everything, it's really about racism, not about mismanagement. You've got, you know, um, Cumio in New York. I mean, other than the media conveniently uh, ignoring all those seniors he sent to their deaths in nursing homes, have given him a free pass to like, oh, maybe we'll start getting serious on the sexual assault claims when the 171st person comes forward you've got people even at the mayoral level who mismanage i mean chicago has been the story for years but you look at portland oregon where antifa antifa have been running rampant for the last year destroying the city almost every night and the mayor there molly cuddling them and refusing to take a strong stance and then releasing them back on the streets again and these celebrities have come forward and paid for their bail why do you think people like this get such a free pass, whereas people like yourself, who constantly say they want to stand up for their constituents, they want the best for their people, have such a hard time in comparison? It's all about, if you have a bad messenger, then it's hard to hear the message. Actually, my uh, philosophy for heroin and the rights, honestly, I'm the only candidate who has stopped the riot in Danville 2018 after the officer involved shooting. Police must be police. You cannot defund the police or whatever have you. There's a such thing as a good cop and a bad cop. I know that all too well. 
the fact of the matter is it's called weak and coward leadership. You know, some people don't need to be in that position. They thought it was easy. They've never thought these problems like Antifa and Marxism was going to happen. But you're supposed to know that before you decide to give out the oath that you're going to protect and defend this country. You know, that's all a part of it. And actually, they invited and allowed it to happen. And now their cities is being wrecked with, it's just total chaos. And actually, that's what bad leadership looks like when you have somebody who's not respected. The fact of the matter is they need to lock them up. They need to make sure they don't get released immediately back out there. They need to start making sure if you want any kind of leniency, you're going to have to clean up the city and pay for the mess. The fact of the matter is, it's a lot of people who should be locked up. Those celebrities who've been funding this mischief, those leaders who've been saying make people very uncomfortable like Barack Obama and the rest, they have gotten away with so much. That's why people feel like they could get away with anything. I wasn't brought up that way. I was brought up, you make a mess, you either clean it up or you deal with the consequences. It's all about common sense, and it's a lack of it in these situations. Some things are not as difficult as it seems. It's just really poor leadership all the way across the board. And that's what happens when yeah. you have, you know, chumps. Sure. In the, oh, I'm sorry to cut you off there. Uh, it, were you finished, Merle? Uh, yeah, okay. okay. I just, okay, I just wanted to make sure. I, I felt like I cut you off a little bit there. So I know we haven't been debating, but if this were a debate right now and we were at the end of the debate and you got your little one minute at the end of that debate to kind of stare into the camera and say what you wanted to say to the good folks of Virginia and you just had that limited time to really throw it out there, we want to kind of give the camera to you, give the mic to you and kind of let you just have a minute or so to speak to the folks in Virginia. Absolutely. The first thing I will say is America is not divided. That is just liberal propaganda. We all have grew up here in America around different races and backgrounds and ethnicities. Many of those that we are friends with today, we don't turn our back on our friends and we don't turn our back on America. The fact is we will move forward together in a positive way that respects that we are all equal but we will not be judged by the color of our skin, but of course by our character. And my number one argument would be, we need to have common sense and move on with life together. Nobody's nobody's enemy. We are all here for the same thing. And that is for the American dream. And we will get there together, not apart. It's closing out that division gap and just basically saying, we all been here in America. We all grew up around each other and we're going to have our differences. We just need to be respectful to the fact that we can't agree to disagree. And that's all about common sense, not about political propaganda. Thank you. Now, Merle, I did actually have one last question for you. And this was actually written by a Democrat I saw on Twitter. And uh, do you have any advice for Joe Biden if he's at the top of a steep set of stairs and he feels uh, suspiciously that Kamala Harris is very close behind him? Well, 
my biggest advice for President Joe Biden is to resign and do what's best uh, in the best interest of this country. He's not capable of doing the job. He knows it. And that's the best thing he can do for everybody is to say, my time is over. And just pass the baton. And also, don't cut thousands of jobs from the Keystone Pipeline. And we want to have these high gas prices. So tell the Democratic friend, look at the gas pump every single time frame. That's Joe Biden. <laughs> so, Gotcha. Well, Carl, thank you for taking some time out to spend with us. And we really appreciate that. Uh, one last thing, if you could let everybody know the best ways to get a hold of you. I know you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, some social media issues with your accounts being suspended or whatever. But if you have a website, uh, any way to get a hold of you, support your campaign and good stuff, uh, please let everybody know that. Yes, you can go to www.rutledgeforvagovernor.com to find out my policies, platforms, and also donate to my campaign. Um, other social media networks we use is MeWe, and all you gotta do is really Google my name, my, my Instagram comes up and more. One of the major things you're gonna get from my campaign, you ask a question, you get a direct answer, and always feel free to reach out, no doubt. Yours is muted. Yep, <laughs> so uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mary, for coming so, on so today. I I messed it up yeah, right at the uh, end. He <laughs> muted me. <laughs> um, but thank you very much for coming on today, man. Like I said, you know, I read I read through, you know, your policies, your platforms and stuff, and you know, you're you're very committed to the freedoms we should all be able to enjoy. And I really appreciate that you've got this fresh point of view where you're not trying to, you know, please people who uh, I guess perhaps want to take the path of least resistance. You want to shake things up there for your people in Virginia and absolutely admire that. Yes. And it's all about being politically incorrect now, meaning you got to have a core and that's what people are tired of. So I hope to give them that refreshment that they have a new breath of fresh air that doesn't care about, you know, the public outcry, but the best interests of Virginians. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd. We do have some good news. We do have some new recording equipment, and that should be the last time we have such a bad sound quality on a remote interview, and we're looking forward to our next one. So we will catch you on that next episode with hopefully a little bit better audio for y'all. Thanks for all the support.